welcome to WJDS, 88 Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast 88 Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Good afternoon and welcome to WADA, ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, we are excited to welcome to our Internet radio audience to the third installment of WADA, ADA Live. My name is Elaine Sutton in Bionwu. Assistant Project Director and Training and TA Director for the Southeast ADA Center and today's host. Welcome ADA Live listening audience in the Southeast region and around the country. The Southeast ADA Center is pleased to have with us today an extremely knowledgeable and well-versed speaker on the topic of accessible meetings and events. Today's guest speaker is Karen Hamilton of the North Carolina ADA Network, a project of the North Carolina Council on Developmental Disabilities. Today our guest speaker will address the legal and practical issues of planning accessible meetings and events. ADA Live listening audience, please note that you are able to call throughout the show to submit your ADA-related questions to have answered live by today's guest speaker, Karen Hamilton. The show's call-in number is 646-595-2880. Again, the call-in number is 646-595-2880. Good afternoon, Karen, and thank you for spending time with the Southeast ADA Center's ADA Live listening audience today. Welcome. Well, thank you, Elaine. Now, we're going to start segment one of our show, and I'd like to begin um, by addressing a couple of questions to you. And my first question is, craft workshops are very popular in the spring months. Some presenters use big, heavy extension cords to run their equipment. Are organizers of such events required to cover these types of equipment? Well, Elena, it really depends. Uh, in regards to the ADA, the extension cord should not block the accessible path of travel or access to goods and services. Uh, the site that serves the craft workshop should have at least one continuous, unobstructed, accessible path of travel from your parking lot and your drop-off areas all the way into your building or your outdoor venue, and then all the way to your craft workshop area. Uh, this accessible path of travel should also connect your amenities such as uh, your accessible restrooms and water fountains. Um, in regards to access to goods and services, uh, the layout of your craft workshop uh, should have enough space so that people using wheelchairs or walkers or other mobility aids can maneuver around the temporary elements such as a craft table, booths, or tents. Um, also, your displays and exhibit areas should be designed so that people can see and reach items from a seated position. Okay, great, great. Thank you, Karen. And, and might I ask, is there a particular amount of space that needs to be allotted for between the, the areas 
in which folks are trying to access the goods and services? Typically, 36 inches. Uh, you need a 36 inch uh, wide path of travel uh, through your venue, uh, okay. and from in your outdoor areas also. Uh, one easy okay. way to do this is to use a yardstick and just uh, travel through your event areas to make sure there's at least one accessible, continuous, unobstructed, accessible path of travel. Okay, great, great. Thank you. 36. Okay. Now, question number two. If a business or another type of entity is using its own facility to host a job fair, are they required to provide a sign language interpreter? Well, both public and private businesses uh, have responsibilities under the ADA to furnish what is called appropriate auxiliary aids and services uh, when necessary to ensure effective communication with individuals with disabilities. A qualified sign language interpreter is considered an auxiliary aid or service. So it, depending on the nature of communication at the job fair, um, the ADA allows for some flexibility in determining what kind of effective communication solutions that you use. Uh, for example, if a person who is deaf is going to the job fair to just to seek a list of job openings, uh, exchanging uh, written notes uh, with an employer may be effective. However, if that person is going to participate in an actual interview during the job fair, effective communication uh, would probably require a qualified sign language and interpreter, uh, basically because of the length, uh, the nature, and complexity of the type of conversation you would have in an interview. Uh, also, folks should know that the revised ADA regulations permit you to use uh, new technologies such as video remote interpreting. This type of service provides um, on-demand sign language interpreting services delivered over a live Internet video connection to your PC, your laptop, or even a tablet. Okay. And Karen, who, who would pay for the interpreter? Whose responsibility is that? Well, basically all the businesses participating in the job fair have responsibilities under the ADA to provide effective communication. Uh, the, uh, that includes the employers that are participating. Uh, the job fair organizers uh, will need to negotiate uh, how to cover the cost of the interpreter if one is needed. Uh, it's, it's really important to plan in advance and build accommodations into your event budget so that doesn't come as a surprise. Um, also, I didn't mention earlier that uh, in your promotional and registration materials for the job fair, uh, you should include and explain how an individual can request an accommodation, such as an interpreter. Uh, this, uh, this particular information should include the contact information and the deadline for requesting accommodation. Okay, great. Thank you, Karen. My third question, uh, as we're talking about issues around conferences and meetings and events, is a church is sponsoring a seminar that is open to non-church members, and attendees must purchase a ticket. An attendee is sensitive to perfumes, lotions, aftershave, etc., and has asked that the conference planners request that all attendees not wear any chemicals or fragrances. What should the church do? Well, it depends on who's conducting the seminar. Uh, religious organizations such as a church are exempt from a the ADA Title III requirements for public accommodations. Um, and this covers all the activities of the church, whether religious or secular. 
So it could even be a secular seminar on a topic that has nothing to do uh, with a religious uh, theme. Uh, it's still, uh, the church would still not be required uh, to meet ADA uh, Title, T Title III regulations. Uh, however, uh, well, let's just use an example first. For example, let's say your church sponsors a seminar for members and non-members alike. And even though the church is operating its facilities that would otherwise be covered by the ADA, its operations are exempt uh, from the ADA requirements for public accommodations. However, the requirements are different if the church rents their facility to a non-religious business to conduct the seminar. In this case, the, the non-religious business that rents the church's facilities must meet the ADA Title III requirements for places of accommodation. So it depends on who's conducting the seminar. Okay. All right. Great. Um, let's say that a non-religious business is conducting the seminar. Are they required to have a scent-free meeting? Well, it depends if the person making the request is a person with a disability as defined by the ADA. Um, in order to be viewed as a disability, an impairment must substantially limit one or more major life activities. Um, the, the ADA doesn't have any specific provisions that address chemical sensitivity. However, an individual's major life activity of breathing, for example, uh, may be substantially limited by chemical sensitivity to a degree that he or she is a person with a disability. When a person okay. with this type of disability uh, is making the request, uh, you must make uh, reasonable modifications to your policies and procedures. However, this should be done on a case-by-case -case basis, so it will just depend. It depends. Okay. Excellent responses. Um, ADA Live listeners, if you should have a question you would like for our guest speaker to answer, please call 646-595-2880. Now, a word from our sponsors. The North Carolina Council on Developmental Disabilities provides information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. The Council on Developmental Disabilities is located in Raleigh, North Carolina, and serves as a state affiliate of the Southeast ADA Center, a member of the ADA National Network. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. The ADA National Network provides information, guidance, and training on the Americans with Disabilities Act tailored to meet the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, regional, and national levels. The ADA National Network consists of 10 regional ADA centers in the United States, providing local assistance to ensure that the ADA is implemented wherever possible. The ADA National Network is not an enforcement agency, but a helpful resource supporting the ADA's mission to make it possible for everyone with a disability to live a life of freedom and equality. Welcome back, ADA Live listening audience, and Karen, thank you for joining us. Thank we you. have a question that has come in uh, from our listening audience that I'd like to pose to you, Karen. And the caller states that a business is providing meals at its annual conference. A conference attendee has indicated they have food allergies. Must the conference coordinators provide a special meal prepared for the conference attendee? Interesting question. Well, it, as we talked about earlier, in order to be viewed as a disability under the ADA, an impairment must substantially limit one or more major life activities. 
the major life activities of eating and breathing, for example, may be substantially limited by allergies uh, to a degree that that individual is a person with a disability. Uh, for example, uh, this may include a person with severe nut allergies uh, whose symptoms uh, would include difficulty swallowing and breathing. Uh, when a person with this type of uh, when a person has this type of disability, you may need to make reasonable modifications uh, to your food service policies, practices, and procedures. Uh, this may include uh, working with the individual on a case-by-case -case basis to address the needs of their specific food allergies. Again, it's a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, for example, uh, answering questions about ingredients on a menu or omitting or substituting certain ingredients upon request. It doesn't mean necessarily that you have to provide a special meal for that individual. Okay, great. Karen, if any, are there any types of instances specific to food allergies in which the entity is not required to comply with an accommodation request? Well, as we said earlier, the conference organizer should consult with the individual with a disability regarding their food allergy accommodation request. Um, they, they must accommodate the food allergy unless doing so would result in an undue administrative or financial burden. Um, but there is a different requirement for both public and private entities. A private business ultimately decides what specific measures they will take to accommodate uh, the food allergy request. For example, um, they, may, they may say, we cannot provide you with a specific gluten-free meal, uh, that you're but we can allow you to substitute items off our existing menu for the meal of your choice. However, it's different for public entities such as state and local governments. They must give primary consideration to the exact request of the individual with food allergies, again, unless it would result in an, an undue administrative or financial burden. Great. Wonderful, wonderful insight and responses, and I'm sure that people are really learning a lot about some of the um, issues around planning these conferences and how to meet the needs of individuals with disabilities. So thank you, Karen. And thank okay. you, Carla, for that question. All right. We're going to move into segment two of our show. And our question for Karen. A conference presenter receives a request from someone that is traveling from another state to attend their workshop. This individual is deaf and needs a sign language interpreter. The presenter thinks it will be too expensive to pay for an airline ticket plus the interpreting service. Does the presenter have to pay for an interpreter? Well, if I understand you correctly, the the person there they they the conference organizer is thinking they need to pay for the interpreter that is traveling with this individual to the meeting. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, the business conducting the workshop uh, can't require an individual with disability to bring another individual to interpret for them. Uh, likewise, your business is not required to provide. Uh, for an aid to travel with the individual with disabilities, um, an individual with disability. The business responsibility is to ensure effective communication during the workshop. Uh, this might include a qualified sign language interpreter in person or through uh, the video remote interpreting services that we talked about earlier. The uh, organization conducting the workshop is financially responsible for the cost of the auxiliary, 
auxiliary aid or service provided, such as the interpreter. Okay. All right. Great. Does that answer now, the question? It does, definitely, in full. <laughs> um, Karen, is there any type of cap or limit on the cost for paying for an interpreter? Well, the ADA doesn't address cost of paying for an interpreter. You will need to negotiate that with the individual interpreter or interpreter service that you're contracting with. Again, that's really important for that to be negotiated and written in your contract. In the contract up front. Okay. Yes. All right. Excellent. All right. My next question. A business is hosting an event at a hotel. Who is responsible for providing wheelchair access to the stage? Well, this is a common issue and a common question. Uh, both the hotel and the business renting the hotel meeting space have responsibilities under the ADA to ensure that everyone, regardless of their disability, has equal opportunity to enjoy the services and facilities uh, offered by the event. Um, if the hotel provides temporary stages or raised platforms, they must make these temporary elements accessible to people with disabilities unless doing so would result, again, in an undue administrative or financial burden. Uh, in your contract, again, contracts are so important, and in your, in your contract with the hotel, make sure to include a list of all the accessible features that the hotel is going to provide for your event, such as an accessible stage or assisted listening devices. Uh, this list should also inc include the cost, if any, of these accessible features. And you have the most power to negotiate, of course, before you sign a contract with the hotel. Sometimes, okay. if you need an accessible stage, you may need to be, it may need to be rented by you or the hotel from an outside company. And in this case, the individual renting the stage uh, should inquire about providing a ramp or other features that would make the stage accessible. Again, those access accessible features should be addressed in your rental contract. Okay, excellent. All right. Um, what if we cannot secure an accessible stage? Well, the general, just general rule of thumb is that if a stage is not accessible to all speakers, then you shouldn't use it. Uh, it's, it's insulting to a speaker who uses a wheelchair, for example, to be the only person to present from below the stage. Okay. All right, so we need to make sure that everyone has access um, um, during any type of meeting or workshop and um, no one is left out. Um, okay, great. That's a lot. That, you know, I, I think a lot of times people miss that point of full inclusion and folks having the accommodations that they need in order to really be able to participate fully in, in these events. And, and this is some very good information. Um, and, I, and I think sometimes uh, we I think sometimes we forget that we we shouldn't only look at the uh, accessibility needs of our participants, but also of our speakers and other mm -hmm. uh, vendors or, or other exhibitors that are participating in your event. Good point. Good point. All right. Thank you, Karen. My next question is, if a conference presenter is distributing handouts to seminar participants, must all of the handouts be uh, in Braille format? Well, material in accessible format such as Braille is an, another example of an auxiliary aid that can be provided on an as-needed basis. However, knowing your audience is really key here. Uh, your promotional or registration materials for the job for should include and explain how an individual can request an accommodation such as materials in Braille. 
And um, this information should also conclude the contact information and a deadline for requesting the accommodation to ensure that there's enough time to order or produce the Braille materials. Uh, and you sh again, you should also find out if participants who are not required to register, such as your presenters, performers, exhibitors, have any disability-related re needs. So to answer your question, it would depend uh, if someone has requested uh, information in Braille. Okay. Typically, how much lead time is required for requesting documents in an alternative format? One to two weeks is standard practice, um, but it's important uh, in, for your business to have an existing procedure in place for producing and ordering or ordering materials in Braille. Uh, this will allow you to fulfill that request as quickly as possible, especially if you have last-minute requests, because you want to fill those if you can. Okay, great. All right, um, my next question and the final question in this segment. If someone brings a service animal to the conference, am I responsible for walking it so it can relieve itself? Who's responsible? Uh, no, the, the, you are not responsible. A, a, a public entity or a private business is not responsible for the care or supervision of the service animal. Uh, the care and supervision of the service animal uh, is ultimately the responsibility of the person who is using the service animal, and they will need to make those arrangements. Okay, great. ADA Live listeners, if you should have a question you would like for our guest speaker to answer, please call 646-595-2880. Now a word from our sponsors. The Southeast ADA Center is your leader in providing information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. The Southeast ADA Center, located in Atlanta, Georgia, is a member of the ADA National Network and serves eight states in the Southeast region. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. The North Carolina Council on Developmental Disabilities provides information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. The Council on Developmental Disabilities is located in Raleigh, North Carolina, and serves as a state affiliate of the Southeast ADA Center, a member of the ADA National Network. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. Welcome back, ADA Live listeners. And we have a couple of more questions that have come in during the commercial break. And Karen, I'd like you to take a stab at some of these questions here. The first question is from Jeremy in Tennessee. And he would like to know, when does a participant need to inform the host for alternate formats? In advance of the event? What if someone just shows up and requests the alternate formats at the event? Well, it will depend on the, again, that's it's why it's so important to, to have a written policy and procedure in regards to alternate formats and, and, and any of your un, basically effective communication policy. The, uh, it will depend on the policy of that particular event. Did they uh, set a guideline in their registration and publicity materials stating that there would be a deadline for uh, requesting uh, particular 
uh, materials in alternative formats, for example, or other accommodations. The, uh, as far as showing up to the day of the event, if that, that entity uh, or the conference organizers have you know, set a procedure in place, and a person shows up at the last minute, they still should try their best to um, fulfill that request, but they're not required to do that. It would just be, unless it would be an undue, I mean, they, if they can, that would be great. And if you have procedures in place, many times that's, that's, you're able to do that, um, mm -hmm. but sometimes you're not. So it just depends. Right. Yeah, I've seen where at some conferences they're able to produce alternate formats on site um, to address some of those last-minute requests, but um, I don't. I think there's far and few in between. Well, and that's the reason it's good to have a procedure written down and ready, so that you know if you have that capability, why not have mm -hmm. it available at your event? Right. Okay. Great. All right. Another question has come in, and. Karen, the caller is asking, what is audiovisual description, and are conference planners required to provide this? Well, an accessible meeting allows everyone to understand their presentations and to participate in the discussions. So description of the visually presented materials is considered an auxiliary aid or service to promote effective communication. So audiovisual description uh, basically, that is a term used to that use, is used to describe the key visual elements in a video or a multimedia product. Um, this allows the individual who's blind on to access the content that is not accessible simply by listening to the audio. Uh, in, the, in audio description, the narrators can describe actions, gestures, scene changes, and other visual information, as in a video or a movie, for example. Uh, audio description in this case is usually done by a professional and can be added to a video much like you would do uh, add closed captioning. However, a low-tech example of audio description could involve a workshop speaker describing the titles, pictures, and other text that might appear on the screen of a PowerPoint presentation. So, but if providing a particular auxiliary aid or service such as audio description at a meeting would result in an undue burden for the business, the business is not required to provide that exact service. Uh, however, they must try to find an alternate um, auxiliary aid or service that will not result in an undue burden, but will ensure that participants uh, with disabilities can participate fully uh, in the session or workshop. And so you basically talk to your participants to find out the best solution. Okay. And so, and again, this is like on a case-by-case -case basis, and, and the whole interactive process around finding the best possible solution is very important in a, in a situation such as this. Yes, and but also when you're producing videos uh, for your organization or about a specific topic, uh, you, just like you would consider adding captioning, uh, closed mm -hmm. captioning to this video, you should also consider adding video description. Uh, and I know that uh, that the Southeast ADA Center and the National ADA uh, Network has resources that you could uh, to learn more about audio description and how you can use that with videos and um, information that other organizations have also. Okay, so it's standard. It should become a standard practice, is what you're which is what it, you're it's, saying. It's not one yet necessarily, but mm -hmm. that it's one that. Uh, well, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> it would be yeah, encouraging. Okay, okay. 
All right. Well, Karen, I thank you so, so very much for taking the time out of your schedule today to join us on WADA, ADA Live, and providing us with a wealth of information on the um, issues surrounding planning meetings and events and, and how to make them accessible and accommodating the needs of individuals with disabilities. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Great. At this time, again, formally, I would like to thank our guest speaker, Karen Hamilton of the North Carolina ADA Network, a project of the North Carolina Council on Developmental Disabilities, for joining us today. And to our ADA Live listening audience, the Southeast ADA Center is extremely grateful for your support and participation in our show today. ADA Live listening audience, if you would like to continue this discussion, please join the Southeast ADA Center in our online discussion at adalive.org from 1.30 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. Don't forget to tell a friend about ADA Live. Like us on Facebook, tweet about ADA Live, or share an update with your LinkedIn colleagues. Join us next month on the second Tuesday, January the 8th, 2014, when we will discuss effective communication. The staff at the Southeast ADA Center wishes you happy holidays and a happy new year. See you next month on WADA ADA Live. Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.